0: evening everybody thank you for coming. So, if you're a parent, as am I, I'm confident you'll agree nothing is more important to us than our children. We would do anything to raise them to be happy and healthy, both emotionally and physically. Yet from a young age. So many of us are conditioned into bad habits. Overeating, closet eating, restrictive eating, and using food for reward and punishment. Infants are born with an innate ability to regulate their own hunger. Parents have an innate reality too, feed their young. Picture this, you're an eight-year-old child sitting at your kitchen table. Your mother puts a plate of chicken and broccoli in front of you. It's dinner time, you're hungry, so you eat. You finish half the chicken and a quarter of the broccoli, you feel full and you stop eating. But your mother tells you to finish your dinner. Your body says you're full but your mother says otherwise. Problem number one. Our bodies are brilliant mechanisms with hormones that fluctuate based on our needs for calories or energy. They know when to eat and they know when to stop. Our innate impulse as parents is to feed our young, pushing them to eat more, thus conditioning them to overeat. But wait, what if there's a chocolate cake on the counter? Your eight-year-old self tells your mother that you're ready for dessert. A normal physical response, you've satisfied your hunger, and now you want to satisfy your craving. Mom replies, until you finish your dinner, there's no cake for you. Problem number two, that delicious chocolate cake is suddenly the reward for eating beyond your body's natural limit. The food reward system is so effective for parents that it is implemented regularly. Sit in the barber's chair, lollipop. Yearly shots at the doctor, tootsie roll. Win a game in Little League, ice cream. Sugary food is something to be earned. The opposite is true too. By not following rules, our dessert is withheld, conditioning children that food can be used as punishment as well. But don't run to blame your mother just yet. She was likely conditioned the same way. This multi-generational cultural reality that has been going on for a long while. So why are children gaining more weight than ever before? With the passing of each generation, portions become bigger, foods more processed, and of course due to lifestyle changes, the frequency of eating is greater. Couple this with the increased use of technology and a lack of physical activity, and we've created a cycle that perpetuates unhealthy habits. This reality has become so serious That according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the obesity rate in US children is 53%. That means that more than half of our kids are in or above the 95th percentile of weight. And unfortunately, the consequences are very substantial. Obese and overweight children are bullied more, likely to likelier to suffer from social isolation depression, and low self-esteem. They are of course also at a higher risk for chronic health conditions. Unfortunately, these emotional and physical issues don't resolve themselves, following these children into their adult lives. But this reality can be fixed, it can really be fixed. It's not up to our children to make the shift, it's up to us. small changes, and I'm serious, small changes, which we'll talk about tonight, can really benefit our families and repair our relationships with food. First, make FAT a a four-letter word. Speak in terms that your children will feel good about. Words matter. Focus on health, focus on habits, Focus on happiness. Teach your children about what each choice really is without labeling food as good and bad. I don't like to call pizza bad or even unhealthy because the truth is, pizza is not bad. Pizza is not unhealthy. In fact, I don't believe really that any foods inherently are bad or unhealthy. We make them unhealthy by eating too much, too often. Calories are not bad for us. In fact, without calories, we'd all be dead. We need calories to function, we need calories to live. Too many calories, too often, for too long, can take something good and make it bad. Fat, sugar, starch, aren't bad for us. It's too much fat, it's too much sugar. It's too much fat and starch and sugar, too often for too long that make it a problem. When consumed in moderation and balanced out with all the other foods, our bodies need to function. Calories, fat, sugar, and even starchy carbs are absolutely fine, in moderation. When I talk to my children about pizza, I explain that the cheese has protein, the sauce is made from healthy tomatoes, and the crust is the starch that gives us a big boost of energy. But I go further. And I explain that pizza is also high in calories. And eating too many calories can put our bodies in an unhealthy position. I also explain that pizza is delicious and therefore it's very easy to overeat it. Let's be honest, most of us don't overeat on broccoli. Explain how eating certain foods can benefit our brains. Explain to our kids that their bodies can be benefited from eating certain foods physically, and their minds and hearts emotionally. Simplify as much or as little as needed based on age, but don't dumb it down completely. My starting point has always been, eating mostly healthy foods will make you feel healthy, while eating most, lots of junky food will make you feel junky. Children are smart. Children are autonomous. When they understand basic nutrition concepts, they are likely to make better choices. So, tip number one education leads to economy, force leads to failure. Make changes that help your family feel happier, not hungrier. Don't throw away every snack item just yet. Shift towards healthier options, don't shove. Stay ahead of hunger and prepare fresh and healthy options ahead of time to avoid. Midday meltdowns and snack attacks. I don't know about you guys. When I get hungry, I don't make good choices. I talk to my patients all the time about the importance of eating on a schedule, four to six hours apart. Think about a time when something in life got in your way and there were several hours, too many hours, between lunch and dinner. And then you get home and it's been a long day, work or chores or whatever you do, and, uh, and all of a sudden there's food in front of you. When we're starving, our abilities to make good choices, our abilities to moderate portions, are pretty, pretty difficult. So stay ahead of hunger, and prepare those fresh and healthy options ahead of time. So tip number two, be prepared, not pushing. Three, avoid fat talk and body shame. Do you ever catch yourself saying, I look so fat? Starting a diet out of dissatisfaction with our body will lead your child to think that unhealthy eating is a punishment for being overweight rather than a conduit to being healthy, and words really do matter. The positive relationship your children see you build with food will translate into their healthier lifestyles later. Without this, your child may develop a misguided understanding of nutrition and a misguided understanding of their body. This can cause self-esteem issues, potential eating disorders, or triggering habits such as closet or binge eating. Tip number three, you don't have to look like a model to be a role model. This leads us to our fourth concept. Healthy eat- eating habits are one-size-fits-all. Assign a dietary restriction to some or one of your children, but not others, who decide, it will fragment your family and derail your effort. Many adults who consult me were placed on rigid diets as the chubby child in the family, while their skinnier siblings were permitted to eat fast foods and any dessert they wanted. Healthy food is healthy for everyone, no matter their size. Tip number four, no matter your size, healthy always fits. Lastly, all food is kids' food. Avoid preparing multiple meals each night, by changing the way you approach dinner. It takes time, but it's effective and it's definitely worthwhile. Making meals fun is a great way to engage younger kids. We've done at home rainbow dinners where each night of the week is a different color. So for example, a yellow night might include scrambled eggs, corn, yellow peppers, and bananas. These meals are visually stimulating to young children, and my kids get excited and they participate, and as a result, often, they try new things. If they're not willing initially, implement the one bite rule. I never force my kids to eat foods they hate simply because it's nutritious, but I also don't allow them to declare they hate it without trying it first. They each take at least one real bite chew and swallow before determining if this food is a yes or a no. And that's tip five. You need to try before you say goodbye. This evening for dinner, a couple hours ago, we made salad bar in our house. We used to make plated meals during the week. So my wife or I would prepare a protein, a vegetable, a carb, put it on a plate, and we would determine the portions that our kids need all on our own and put it in front of them. Now, instead, we make the meal more interactive. We make it more fun. On the island in our kitchen, we set up several small bowls, cut up vegetables, different ones in each one. We have one bowl for cucumbers, we have uh, another for peppers. We have a third bowl for celery and a fourth with shredded carrots. We had a large bowl of lettuce and then two plates of protein, of fish and chicken. We then give our kids the autonomy to choose for themselves Kids like choices. Kids like free will. My wife and I also want our kids to know the several different ingredients that make up their salad, not just shove in front of them a mixture of different things all thrown together on a plate. We want them to choose their portions so they can learn what portion control means to them. We don't, want, we don't determine how much they're eating because I, at 40 years old and five foot seven and 150 pounds, no longer recall what it takes to fill up a 9-year-old that's uh, 55 pounds. Let them decide. I promise they won't die of starvation if you give them some free will. I want to share a story of something that recently happened. I took two of my kids to the dentist recently. The the waiting room was packed. The appointment was for 3 p.m. and I assumed we would be home long before dinner time. But I was wrong. It took forever. And the time we were done, my kids were very hungry. The only kosher place in the area was a Baskin Robbins directly across the street. And it's not so close to my house, the dentist. So I told my kids who are nine and six years old that I made a mistake. I didn't pack a snack. I didn't anticipate that the appointment would take so long. But we have a long trip home, and I don't want them to be so hungry. So I explained, we'll have to go get some ice cream instead. And of course, they were devastated. I went up to the counter, I ordered a small cup of vanilla ice cream, and I asked for an empty cup as well. I wanted to split it up into two portions, just a little bit of calories, help them get home. One for my son, the other for my daughter. The cashier cashier told me, I can upgrade to a medium for just 20 cents more. I said, no thank you. She was shocked. She repeated herself, it's only 20 cents more. I said, I'm not really looking to save 20 cents, it's more like I'm looking to save 2,000 calories and treating diabetes is way more expensive than 20 cents. <laughs> so when I got in the car, I, I had a conversation with my kids and I explained to them what happened. You know, this is stuff that happens in, you know, as adults all the time and, and I think sometimes, and I know I'm guilty of this myself too, we, we forget to kind of communicate to our kids the stories that go on and, and we leave It's up to them to perceive whatever they perceive, however they perceive it. I like to have conversations with the kids, and I, I like to talk to them about how we walk into a store like Baskin Robbins, and Baskin Robbins has a job to do to get 20 cents more and to get us to upgrade. This small cup of vanilla, it was like 16 ounces. Anybody see the movie The Founder on Netflix? It's the story of, um, of uh, the, uh, Ray Kroc, who was the, uh, the gentleman who went to meet the, the McDonald's brothers, the, the two individuals who started the first McDonald's burger joint somewhere in the Midwest. And it takes place in the 1950s, which is <laughs> when McDonald's started. And I saw the movie recently, and it's a good movie and I recommend it. And there was an interesting scene where Ray Kroc, who was doing something else at the time, goes to McDonald's and he pulls up and he orders a burger, fries, and a Coke. And it's 1950s, middle America, and the burger was like this big, and the fries were sitting upon my hands, and the soda was like this tall. You couldn't get those sizes anywhere today. I mean, you buy the small and it's like that. It's really unbelievable. <coughs> so I talked to my kids about these things and, and I explained to them while watching this movie with them that that's normal. What we have today, it's not normal. They don't completely grasp it at all and they definitely don't apply it at all right away. But over time, guys, it resonates, it sets in, as does all the principles we try to bestow upon our children. You know, I, uh, I was pretty heavy for a very long time in my life, and, and I know what it feels like to be uncomfortable and to, uh, the effect it has on self-esteem and I know the effect it has on my energy and my ability to just tie my shoes or climb a flight of stairs. And I really wanted to like hone in, the way I think is kind of very linear, and I wanted to hone in on what are really some of the problems that contribute to my flight. This goes back a while ago. I'm now in the field that I'm in for almost a decade. I turned 40. Uh, last January, I'm turning 41 next month, and the first 10 years of my adult life from age 20 to 30 were vastly different than the last 10 years. Between 20 and 30, I felt like I was between 50 and 60. Now at 40, I feel like I'm 25. Um, so I was honing in on some of the issues. And I think we're all pretty familiar with what the Shabbat dinner looks like, right? So it's Friday night, and we're sitting around the nice rectangular dining room table, and there's platters of food in front of us. And it's one of the nights of the week, if we're lucky, to sit around the family and to talk about life and what happened over the week, and just trying to connect with our loved ones. But there's platters of food in front of us, and this is the best food. This is the homemade, fresh-cooked, abundance of every food that we love. And we're sitting there for like an hour or two, and what happens? You take your first serving, and then as the hour passes, and then the second hour comes, you're taking your third, your fourth, your fifth serving. And there's just so much absent-minded picking and grazing. we don't even connect what we're doing because we're just busy talking about politics or this or whatever we're talking about. So I honed in on that, and I'm like, okay, that's a big problem. There's food in front of us. We're sitting there for two hours, and we're just absentmindedly picking. So I wanted wanted to create barriers, little barriers between my natural impulsivity to just grab food. So we have the dining room with the table, and then we have the kitchen with the island. So we switched in our house back then when I transformed my life from unhealthy to healthy to buffet-style serving, not family-style serving. Family-style serving is the platters in the middle of the table. Buffet-style is platters somewhere else, you take a plate, you walk over, you put it in. And that's like a 10-foot barrier. So what does that actually do? I can get up and walk 10 feet 300 times on a Friday night. But by creating that barrier, I'm, I'm putting a little bit of a distance that helps me incorporate a little bit more mindfulness in my, in my decision-making. And that's just a barrier of distance. Think about time, too. If you're sitting there for an hour or two and you're just talking and you're just taking one serving after another, how can we implement the barrier of time? So, I came up with a concept that I like to refer to as the 10-minute rule. And it starts with your single serving of whatever you want. For me, I love chicken, there's a drumstick, there's a thigh, I like baked potatoes, so a serving for me is a half of a baked potato. I like rice, so I take a half a cup. I like salad, so I'll take two cups of salad and I'll put it all on my plate. Again, it's, it's on the island in the kitchen, it's buffet style. And I eat my food, and naturally, it's the end of the week, I'm tired, I um, had a long week and I just want to eat and enjoy and relax and maybe open a bottle of wine. So if I want to go for that second serving, if I can really train myself, I can condition myself to wait 10 minutes between each serving and then go for that second serving, I can even do that multiple times. I can have a serving, wait 10 minutes, go for another serving, wait 10 minutes, go for a third serving. You see, if we hone in on the problem with the first example where food's all in front of us, What we're doing is we're creating an environment where it's easy to grab food. So there's this absent-minded picking. Think about our lives, guys. We socialize around food. We celebrate around food. We even mourn around food. Food is affordable, it's accessible, it comes in abundance. Think about the timeline of humanity. This was Adam and Eve, and this is us in 2019. And all of the generations between, Do you know that statistically speaking, I mean, not statistically speaking, but this is what the data says, is that as far as our weight goes, if we look at the timeline from Adam to like maybe 50 years ago, it was like healthy, 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 healthy for the vast majority of the population, then boom, spike. It's like just the last generation or two. It's like the last 50 years. Go back 100 years or 150 years, which is just a sliver of time in the span of our uh, existence, what changed? So 150 years ago and for every year or generation prior, what, what did we do for food? We were hunters, we were gatherers, it took a long time and a lot of effort to go and get food. Today, you walk into a supermarket, I think I read recently that in 1950s America, the average supermarket 20,000 individual SKUs, and SKUs is like an individual unit of the product that they sell. Today, it's like 85,000. I have a friend, a close friend of mine, he made Aliyah like 15 years ago, and he came back, he doesn't come back often to New York, he, uh, he came back recently and, and we went out and we stopped off at a 7-Eleven to get a cup of coffee, and he was blown away. He said, there's like 14 different flavors of coffee and it comes in like six different sizes and they have seven different sweeteners and four different types of milk. He says, in Israel, you go and you order a coffee and they give you a cup of coffee and that's it. You can maybe get a, a little sweetener of milk. I remember I went to Israel recently and this goes back to December of last year, so it was a year ago. And I go into a Makola and I ask, for a large coffee and the guy gives me a coffee that's maybe 8 or 10 ounces and I said no I'm sorry I asked for a large he said this is the large, what's wrong with you Americans you have big cars, big houses, big coffee everything is big for you, this is a large you want a large, buy two of these and that's what he said to me so that we live in a society, this is a culture that's really different than any other time before but that, that's not going to change we're not really getting to the point where we're going to start inviting our friends to go bowling or to the movies nearly as much as we're going to go out to dinner. So it's really about creating the right habits. And if you think about the Friday night dinner example and the the 10 feet to the island or the 10 minute rule of... um, breaking up our eating into servings with some time, it's really just about slowing down and creating barriers between that impulsivity. Because we see, we want, we take, we eat. And there's no opportunity for mindfulness. There's a nanosecond between the seeing and the consuming. There are some other rules I like to implement in my house for my kids. And sometimes I'm successful and you have kids, you probably know that sometimes we're not. But we eat at the table. We don't eat on the couch. We don't eat in bed. I have uh, four kids. Thank God. And I see they're they're very, very different. Like my oldest daughter, who's getting batman's bed in March, she's turning 12, she doesn't gravitate towards the healthier things like my six-year-old daughter does. My six-year-old daughter is amazing. She prefers all of the healthier choices. While my older daughter tends to gravitate like most kids do towards the, the, the less healthier choices. But my older daughter doesn't eat really an excess portion while my son, right below her, the nine-year-old, will eat anything, but his habits have been formed from somewhere, and I don't know where, where he'll like get the Costco-sized bag of popcorn and he'll take handfuls of it and really put it in his mouth at a speed where he can't even enjoy it And these are habits that are formed. And so I sit with him and I talk to him and and we don't talk about body or fat or this, you know, something that we can't really control. We talk about healthy. We talk about wanting to be healthy so that we can live stronger lives with a greater quality of life, with a longevity of life. And I teach him, let's take the eight ounce plastic cup from the pantry and let's dip it into the bag and then let's take the the big Costco bag and roll it up and put it away, and let's walk over to the table and let's eat one piece at a time. Because when you have the bag in front of you and it's sitting on your lap, I mean, it's just natural that you're gonna reach in over and over again because popcorn tastes really good. And if you're watching TV at the same time, forget about it, because you're totally distracted by what you're watching. Now, we're all adults and we've been conditioned because of our environment, and we form these habits, but the truth is we could form better habits. You know, there's a concept known as, uh, in science, it's 21 days of adaptation. It takes about 21 days or so to form really good habits, and to break really bad habits. You can do the opposite too. In 21 days or so of consistent behavior, you can form bad habits and you can break good habits. But we're talking about 21 days, and let's say it took 42 or 84, we're not talking about years and years of, of working hard to change some of our habits, and these small things, they really make a big difference. Try for one month, four Friday night dinners to switch to buffet style instead of family style. Try for one month, for all 30 days, not the Shabbos, that every time you wanna have that second serving, wait 10 minutes. Don't hesitate to have it, have it. But what you're doing is you're retraining, you're unconditioning your years of habits where you would just see, one, take, and eat. It really, really works. I was 30 years old before I decided to change my life, and now at 40, it's vastly different And I was unable to do some of the conditioning that uh, I experienced as, as a kid. This might sound funny to you guys, considering what I do for a living, but I would never advise putting your children on a diet. Don't send them to a nutritionist. I can't tell you how often parents call me. They know what we do, they know uh, what we've accomplished with so many patients, and they ask, can you help my kid? The kid, kids don't have the same emotional and intellectual capacity as us. They can't sit here, hear this, this conversation, and truly understand what we're talking about. And if we, we put them on a diet, and we tell them, okay, this is what you can eat, and this is what you can't eat, and this is how much you should eat, what are we really doing? They're going to eventually do what they want to do because that's what kids do and they'll find a way to get what they want. You can bring a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. So I would recommend, don't put them on a diet. Don't talk to them about their their body or or don't allow or even FAT to enter your house. Instead, lead by example. Talk about how you like to make healthy choices and, and talk about the habits that you're forming. Talk about your own struggles with, oh my God, I wanna have that again, but you know what? I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait just five more minutes, drink a little bit of water, and then I'm gonna have a single servant. Explain it, kids are much smarter than we give them credit for. Um, I, I wanna stop with the monologue, and I really wanna try and get you guys to kind of join me a little bit. I wanna be able to spend some time and answer questions or hear some comments or concerns and get a little bit of an understanding of what's going on for you guys in your homes. So don't be shy, just uh, speak up. I'd love to hear from anyone anything. similar it comes from a, a different condition that he has where uh, one of the side effects of this condition is um, it's, it's a certain compulsivity specifically with food and and I see it and it, it it really gets me very anxious because again as a parent what we want to do is we really want to feed the kid we want to make sure they're they're, they're fed but but here's the thing you know naturally our bodies are pretty brilliant mechanisms and if you don't make so much of an issue of it, and you don't obsess over it, because through obsessing over it, you're really just going to elevate and exacerbate the issue, she'll find ways to get the calories she needs. And believe it or not, if you try and eat only junk food for like a week, you will reject it. Your body will start to crave the healthier foods. anybody ever see the, uh, the documentary Supersize Me? It's it's pretty old. I think. I don't remember the details. I can just give you a little idea that the guy went on a he did a little bit of an experiment. He said, "I'm only going to eat items on the McDonald's menu for 30 days. Nothing else. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. 30 consecutive days. I'm not going to choose anything that doesn't exist on the McDonald's menu." And he went from a really healthy person. They did blood work and they did vitals and they took all these kind of measurements on day zero and then on day 31. They did the same tests and in this thirty days, he just like completely destroyed his body. But na- he was pushing himself for this experience. Naturally, we do want that balance. It's, it's actually interesting from an evolutionary perspective with the brilliance of, of God's creation in our bodies. Cravings of specific types of food really stems from a deficiency in the nutrients that are in that food. So if you obsess over it, you're really just gonna exacerbate the issue. And if you talk and lead by example in terms of what you're eating and how what you like, and you try and create some of these interactive games with the food, how old is is the child? She's eight years old, that's a great age, because she's not too young to not understand. My son has a similar issue, he's nine. And, and and it's hard. It's really hard. I, I totally get it. It wasn't even like two Friday nights ago that I was really get. I had to like calm myself down because he was sitting at the table and we're all eating and he wouldn't touch a, a, a single item of food. And um, and I had to you know you gotta step away and take a deep breath and really don't push the issue. She'll naturally find the right balance and as she gets older. What do shame. you see in a child like
1: that? Like when
2: she's like, I'm just gonna eat chips or, made like grilled chicken and this and that and like something that she likes
0: but no she eat chips and right. what do you say so what you want is to teach her that she's going to be much healthier with the chicken and not the chips but you're really just going to create more tension in the situation and you and, and it's so hard to do but you don't say anything and naturally you, you know she's not going to be able to live on chips she might that night choose chips as her calories to function but over time, her body will force her to regulate and balance out her diet. And, and it's a very, very difficult thing as parents to do, because as I was saying earlier, our bodies naturally have this innate mechanism. There's two hormones in the body. There's ghrelin and leptin, and, and those hormones fluctuate, <coughs> controlling our appetite. So as ghrelin rises, our bodies, uh, and it gradually rises, get hungrier and hungrier, right? If you finish a really big lunch at 12 o'clock, it's a huge lunch, and you're so full, and you can't put another morsel of food in your mouth. Ghrelin is really low, leptin is really high. And it's one o'clock, and all of a sudden it starts to shift. Leptin is the opposite hormone that tells our bodies that we're actually satisfied. It starts to shift. We're, it's an hour later, we're not so stuffed where we can't eat anymore, but we have no appetite whatsoever because it was just an hour ago. But by two o'clock, it's a little bit less, than three and four, and over time, It goes from I'm too stuffed, to an appetite, to I'm hungry, to I'm very hungry, to I'm famished, to I want to eat off my arm. And that's the body's natural ability to regulate its its hormones. Now, we as parents also have that innate ability or that innate desire to feed our young. So your challenge is, what are you doing? You're eating potato chips for dinner? Are you crazy? That's going to kill you but you're not actually effectively, or you're not able to actually uh, force that too much, because what are you going to do? What are your options? Are you gonna not bring chips into the house at all? That's not really gonna work. They'll find it somewhere else. Are you going to shove chicken down her mouth and broccoli? What, What kind of message are you giving her? And really, what are you doing? You're feeding her for that meal, but what kind of conditioning are we instilling in her for the rest of her life, or his life? We're we're creating an eating disorder, and we're doing it because we want what's best for our kids, so there's zero (coughs) malicious intent, but we have to think a little bit, and we have to take a deep breath, and we have to say, okay, let's control our own anxieties about what we're witnessing, let's put it into perspective, and let's look at Not the ideal. The ideal is she eats a balanced diet of every single perfect food group in the exact moderation that's appropriate for her being, right? That's the ideal. But in reality, what are we really left with? We're left with the best of all available options. And the best available option is to let her body's natural mechanisms regulate on its own, and she will find that healthy food eventually. Um, And she might not give you the satisfaction of showing, uh, you know, showing you that she and it's it's hard, but I, I and I know I can personally relate to it, but that's what I would suggest. The example you gave earlier about
3: they say I'm full, I don't eat dinner, but then they see if it's a chocolate cake, they say I want it. I have learned to so if my kids say I'm full at dinner time, I won't force it on them because they know when they're full. And then if they'll ask for chocolate after dinner, I'm like, you just said you're full. Mm-hmm. If you're full, how do you want how do you want this cake?
0: It's a Good question. Yeah, because eating the the chicken and the broccoli is satisfying our hunger. It's our body's needs for certain nutrients. The chocolate cake is not satisfying hunger. It's satisfying the craving. I can eat chocolate cake when I'm full. I can eat plenty of it, but I don't want any more broccoli, right? So it's not a contradiction. It's it's a different part of their being, desiring the co- the, the cake. So it's okay. It's not only okay. I highly recommend it because what you're going to do by withholding is you're just going to give them. You're going to force them to find an opportunity to sneak it without you knowing, and that's where closet eating comes from. It comes from our youth. (coughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind
2: of related to that. Like, for example, my son will say, "I'm full." eat very little at like, dinner on purpose and I'm full and then he'll eat other things after not like dessert like he'll like open the fridge and like grab a string cheese and I'm like you just ate chicken five seconds ago and you said you were full like why are you eating string cheese and he's like I just want to eat a string cheese I'm like no like you're seven you can't eat string cheese after you have chicken and like I'll be like so, go, go eat another piece of chicken and he will really be full and he'll be like fine and like slam the fridge closed cool. So then, what do you do in that situation? It's not like it's not like a sweet tooth or something after dinner. It's like he just wants to like eat every half an hour, like the whole entire night, like
4: just to
0: bed. Right. Um, if you again, like the ideal is that he would regulate on his own, right? Um, but it's it's really the same answer. If you try and withhold it from him, whether it's string cheese or chocolate cake, he's gonna find it. And it's not about trying to force him to stop doing what he's doing. It's really leading by example and showing how some of the changes that you're making in your life, like the 10 minute rule or the, the buffet style serving over the, it, it really, it starts to incorporate, you know, it, it's really interesting. Like growing up, my parents had very, uh, they were principled about very, very specific things, and, and as a kid, I was, a, I ignored it, and as an adolescent, I re, uh, rebelled against it, whatever the principles were, but as an adult, I see that it really starts to come to the surface for me. I see that I am actually doing a lot of the same things and trying to instill a lot of the same principles that were instilled in me into my children, because over time, it does resonate. The problem that we have as parents today is we want to fix the problem now. We live in an instant gratification generation, right? Everything happens immediately. It used to be that we used to have to hunt and gather food and it would take like four hours to get a meal. Now we pop something in the microwave and 30 seconds later it's ready. So we we are conditioned ourselves to want things immediately. And and we look at our kids and we see what they're doing and he just had the chicken and now he wants the string cheese or he just said that he's full. And now he wants the, the the cake, and we're trying to fix it. And and are we ever really successful in that regard? No, but if we show them through example what's important to us, and if we teach them these are principles that we hold dear, then over time, it will start coming to the surface for them. Uh, a, a, a child comes and you know or a parent comes into my in my office and they're with their child and they see that their child is struggling with a lot of excess and unhealthy weight what does the parent want? they want it to go away and they want it to go away in a month or two or three or six That's the capacity that's the patience that they have they want it done it, it just doesn't work it never works that way. As adults, it's a little different. My philosophy with adults is a rapid amount of weight loss early on is critical to jumpstart the initiative and increase the ambition that helps make the journey more sustainable. But through the process from the beginning to end, we want to work on, on reconditioning and building those good habits. And I can't tell you enough, it's amazing to me how many parents, or or adults rather, come into our, our office and they're several weeks or a few months into the program and they're recognizing in just a few short weeks or months that their journey to a healthier, better self is actually contagious in their house. It's affecting their spouse and their kids. It's not instantly changing you know, in, in the speed that we want it to change, but it's gradual and it really is effective and you can't force it because at the end of the day, it really it just doesn't work. It's not an effective approach. So I have a view part question. I'm sorry, a few what? A few part kind of question. Sure. So, as you know, like Persian families, their mentality is like eat, 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 you
1: have to eat more, Finish your- Very very slow eater, and I see my kids whenever they see food, they just like grab everything and eat it so fast, and like food I don't know. It just looks really messy and disgusting, and I keep telling them like slow down, eat slowly. But then I don't want it to, God forbid, turn into an eating disorder because like my son, and my daughter went on the scale today, and they were like, oh, I weigh this much. Oh my god. What did I eat? So, how do you draw, I don't
0: know, how do you find a balance into making your kids slowly and nicely? So, A, it has to be age appropriate, right? So, my kids are adolescence. my oldest is turning 12, my youngest is 5, and I have two in between, that's 9 and 6. So, kids are, like, really a perfect age, all of them, from the 5 to the 12 year old, where at that point, their, their ability to get a little bit conditioned, is much greater, and then I was giving the example earlier, I don't know if you were here, about the salad bar and getting it more interactive. And then there are other things that we do, like we'll, we'll try and implement the game where, okay, we're taking three bites, and then we're putting our fork down, and we're taking a glass of water. And like we're, we're showing the kids, like okay, there's a pattern, right? And, and we make it fun with incorporating certain rhymes or different, if, if you can try and come up with creative ways in which to instill those habits, like putting the fork down after every third bite and drinking a sip of water and, and before you go and pick up, it naturally slows down the process. It's similar to the idea of uh, the 10 feet or the 10 minutes. It's, it's really about barriers. It's a concept in, in Orthodox Judaism. In Pirkei Avot, it talks about So glatora, it literally means a fence around the Torah. What it's referring to is that there's, there's biblical laws And then the rabbinical laws, many of them, are designed to just prevent us from violating the biblical laws. But all it is, is a mechanism in place that creates a barrier between our natural impulsivity to desecrate the biblical law. The same thing applies in our habits around eating. Our our society is, is, the reality around our society is that it's constantly around us, and you see it with your kids, and you're seeing the effects of those things with the shoveling with the shoving, excuse me, the shoving. Um, but you're, you, you would create an eating disorder if you obsess over it and you talk about it. But if you say, if you kind of talk, it's, it's kind of like the inverse of what I was saying earlier. I'm sure we are all guilty of this. We look in the mirror and we say, oh my god, I look so fat. Or I wish this, or I wish that, and we talk about other people. And, and our kids hear these things. So what's the, the opposite of that? talking in the more positive and saying, um, I am really having a hard time slowing down my eating and I know because my nutritionist told me or I read in an article somewhere I saw on, uh, you know, on the newscast that it's super important to eat slowly, so I'm gonna try and put my fork down and eat. And, and it's not gonna instantly change. I mean, you want that instant gratification where you said something for five minutes and all of a sudden your kids adjust. But that's what I was referring to earlier when I said like, I'm noticing now as an adult where I'm raising a family, that so many of the things that my parents instilled in me are coming to the surface. And um, if you do that, you're not going to get the instant gratification that you desire, but long-term you're going to ultimately set them up for that kind of success. And that's really the only way. I can spend- That's exactly the point. The one thing I would correct that you said is you, you said that it's very hard to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. I would rephrase that as it's impossible. Because it is. Because you don't have the same control over your kids that you wish you did. They are exposed to external factors. I remember as a child, my mother was also like, it was embarrassing. She would have like a little ziploc bag with like cut up red peppers. Now I'm one of six. And like little baby carrots. And like I would never see a chip or a popcorn kernel or a cookie in my house. Like never. She's a doctor, by the way, so she's I'm, I'm one I'm one of six. I'm one of six kids. Four out of the six of us with substantial obesity, severe obesity, and that's the environment we grew up in. And I remember as a kid, you know, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, I would buy with my lunch money, the junk food from my friends. I would go to my neighbor down the block, who had the pantry filled with everything, and I would eat like everything in sight in the one hour I was hanging out with him on a Sunday. Now, he is one of three, I and mean, it went very well. He's actually the guy who confirmed earlier who made Aliyah. And he's one of three, and guess what? All three uh, of them are, it doesn't work, it just doesn't work. So, well, I'm sorry. But... Where it came from uh, for her, right? But no, I I don't think that these things are really developed later. I think we're really conditioned with these things from youth, and we don't just really see it so clearly. But um, um, I can't answer where my mother's perspective is coming from, and 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 I'm not suggesting that that culture in the house is the direct relationship. You know, excess weight is multifactorial. Uh, there's genetic disposition, thyroid condition, metabolic disorders, but, you know, those things represent a pretty small percentage of where our excess weight comes from. If I have 50 pounds to lose, the majority of that 50 pounds is not coming from, uh, you know, a low basal metabolic rate. The majority of excess weight is coming from my habits around food, and my habits around food come from the conditioning I experienced as a kid. And we love to pretend like we have that kind of control and that we can do that with our kids, but the reality is that we don't, it backfires. So communication is much more appropriate. I talk to the I'm like, you
4: know, we have to be healthy, make healthy choices, but they, like, come home from school, I want a snack. We already have a snack that's having apples, you know, this, that, and it's like... Yeah, it's plenty.
0: Right, so in our house, we don't restrict types of foods, and we don't even restrict portions, we just try and control those portions with the proper habits. Like the big Costco bag of popcorn, we're not gonna allow the nine-year-old to sit there with an open bag and just shovel fistfuls of popcorn in his mouth. We will be more um, strict, for lack of a better term, in, in getting him to fill up the cup, roll up the bag, put it away, and take one kernel at a time. And even if he's shoving it and going for a second, it's like we're still creating that barrier where he has to get up every serving and go to the bag and put it in. And of course we encourage the carrots, right? It was like an interesting thing that we discovered is like we take the the baby cucumbers and we cut them into discs and if you put like sea salt on it, it tastes substantially better. And like we incorporated that with the popcorn because it gets a little bit similar flavor and we try and mix it in. And naturally he eats all the popcorn and only 50% of the cucumbers, but guess what? It's 50% more cucumbers than he ate just a couple of years ago, and over time, it, and it works. So
3: would you suggest sending, for school, would you suggest sending those snacks that you don't agree with? Like the nachos and things that other moms are sending that? I would suggest doing that,
0: and I would suggest doing that within portions that are appropriate for them. Single servings. You know, you pay a little bit of a premium, but you can pretty much buy anything in a 100-calorie so I would put the apple in, and maybe the cut up peppers, and then the hundred calorie pop of a hundred calorie pack of potato chips. And what naturally happens is that the the bu- lunch bag comes back, the lunch box comes back, and what's inside, yeah, the apple and the vegetables. And what's gone is the popcorn. But you're again, you're 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 teaching your kids through that example, like, look, this is the ideal. This is what I want. And and over time, it re- it does resonate. It does come to the surface. What do we do when the kids take a few of those their packs? They say you a lot Right. So it, it it can't you can't have these kind of rules in a vacuum of okay, it's a single pack. So you can say all right, that one rule is it's it's a pack at a time. Another rule is we don't eat in on the couch. Or in front of the TV, or up in the bedroom. We eat at the table, and eventually we want to move away from that. So if you want to go for your second and your third, that's fine, but you got to sit at the table to do it, and it just naturally creates those barriers that I was referring to. Move the TV. <laughs> I, I mean, look, everybody, everybody's, everybody's a little bit different. I I don't have a TV on my table, but I did know somebody growing up that did have a TV in the kitchen. I thought it was very cool. Um, but I want to sit on a nice comfy couch when I'm watching, you know, a show, even if it's just a thirty minute show. And look, these these little rules compounded together create a much bigger effect than I think uh, we can all appreciate right here in the moment. Yes. Um, oh.
1: um, you were saying how whenever you as a child, whenever you used to go to your friend's house for that one hour, you'd eat a lot. So I Cool. It's like the second they get home, they go. For example, yesterday I got a fresh delivery. Within the first hour, they finished. Like each of them had a snack of rice pudding and this and Do you? How do you? Stop your kids from grazing so much yeah. throughout the day? Whenever they don't want dinner.
0: I touched yeah. upon it very briefly, but it was the concept of being prepared. It's that if if. We, as parents, allow our kids to come off the bus and there's nothing else out on the table. They're naturally gonna to run to the pantry and get what they want. But by putting in front the, the healthier choices and being a little bit more forceful on, on saying, okay, go for the chips, go for the cookies, but first have the baby carrots with hummus. And, and you definitely wanna find what your kids like. You don't wanna force down their throat things that they absolutely despise, but there's so many healthy options out there, if you're really creative and you're persistent and you force them to try different things, you'll eventually find that healthier choice that can ultimately uh, help them form better habits. You um, You can also make small changes that can make a big difference in some of the cooking that you're doing in the actual proper meal. Right. So, um, uh, for example, uh, my wife discovered an amazing recipe, and we have the benefit of the, you know, the internet these days, right, where information is there and readily available, and, and if you spend the time and do the homework, you can find uh, really great soup recipes that are made up of just pureed vegetables. And by finding out what your kids like and making you know, small adjustments, getting the, the lower calorie popcorn without the additives. Right? Over time, they get reconditioned to enjoy those things too. But if you, they come off the bus and there's nothing out on the table and you're busy texting a friend or on the phone, what are you expecting them to do? Sit there quietly and patiently and say, you know, mommy, when you're ready, please serve me the vegetables that you have. It's never going to happen. So that preparation is really critical. So my kids are all
5: younger, all of the babies too. I have a few questions. Um, so, I don't know if they're even too young for this conversation, but how do I know when you know babies are full or when it's just enough? Because I feel like at that age, you know, you just want to ensure that they're well-fed and, you know, I find of, like they turn their heads as their mom, so I try to get, you know, a few more smooths in. Um, is there such a thing as over-eating at a young age? And then my second question is, my older son is almost. Too. He's a pretty good eater, but when it comes to protein, he'll just sit it out, pick up, throw it on the floor, say, mommy, no. He loves fruits, loves vegetables, he, he all carbs, fats, but protein, chicken, meat, I really uh, struggle with it. And then my last question is, I once heard that all meals don't need to be like completely well balanced. Like you could have a meal just you know heavy in fruits and then another meal heavy in carbs. Is it that important that each meal is well balanced and has all
0: different components? No, it's definitely not. It's important that your body has the balanced nutrients that it needs, and you can get that over a much longer span of time than a singular meal. Over um, a day. And moderation also comes in different forms, right? So uh, you can, um, you know, uh, like my, a meal be
4: just a plate of fruits? Like a young
0: meal? N- Not a meal, but a snack, right? And if you have. Uh, across the, the span of an entire week, you're getting a balanced diet, you're getting a couple of fruits spread out over the week, and a couple of vegetables, and a couple of proteins, and a couple of uh, the more guiltier pleasures, and that kind of balance over the course of a week or even a month is sufficient for the body. It doesn't have to be every single plate mm-hmm. has that exact balance. Um, now, you, you asked a couple of other questions. Um, the first question about... Your, your children being young, and do they have a natural ability? They, they absolutely do. Infants, nursing, will pull their head away, you know, at a at, day old. Your natural instinct is to push that spoon, because you feel better with every passing bite. And that's what makes you a human being, that's what makes you a good mother. But it doesn't mean that that behavior is helping your child. It's helping yourself. Is it damaging the water? Yes, because what you're doing is you're, you're conditioning them to ignore their body's natural regulation to stop eating. You're saying to them, forget what your body's telling you. I'm your mother, and I'm telling you, you need another spoonful. Yeah. What was the second question?
1: About protein. That, that you
0: have a child that struggles with the protein. Yeah. Similar to, I, I think it was, um, I think it was yeah. you yeah. that... was you, you're not going to effectively force it down his throat. I <laughs> try. You try. Right. You try. And, and it, unfortunately, it's like I said, that would be the ideal. That you can somehow manipulate the universe in a way where all of a sudden he wakes up tomorrow morning and falls in love with protein. But unfortunately, I think we're left with the best of all available options and kind of approaching a little bit more of a calm way and kind of compartmentalizing your own emotions and saying, yeah, I want him to have that because that makes me feel comfortable, that kind of regulates my anxiety about it, but really I'm not helping him, nature, the brilliant mechanisms within his body will naturally help him. As his body doesn't get the nutrients he needs, that's where the the cravings will kick in and he'll get it. Uh, I'm sorry, you raised your hand a few times.
3: In my own house and we made a everything inside Sorry, you made it. what? We, we incorporated many healthy change, baby steps. But when you have to make that lunch box, so the child has to leave at 7 a.m., come home at 5.30, you're trying to put in a balance, they have the vegetable, they have the snack, they have the lunch. You said don't put them on a diet. But how much do you know that is enough for them, that even I three servings of food. Is that enough? Because I'm already giving them too much sugar, too much food. One lunch give them that doesn't smell at school. Well. Like, that's my biggest struggle. Some days I'll give it the pasta, some days it has the pasta and the chicken. but chicken smells at school, well, the egg well. so smells at school. It smells at school. Once they open the container...
0: So I want to correct something, a misperception, when I said don't put your kids on a diet. diet The, the word diet can be a verb, it could be a noun. A verb is you're going on a diet, you're, you're, you are actively using a diet to accomplish a goal, like lose weight. But there's also a diet as a noun, there's healthy eating, there's a balance of all eating. Um, right. So, so when I say don't put your kids on a diet, I mean don't put them in a program where they are, where, which is designed to try and help them lose weight. It just doesn't work. But what does work is trying to instill in them at home with patience and persistence and being the right role model that this is the balance that we want. And, and depending on the age, I think you said your youngest is 12? <laughs> Right, it's definitely more difficult because a lot of these, this conditioning is kind of hardwired in from from earlier on. But obviously the creativity is required to find the foods that they like that can last throughout the day and they leave at 7.30 and they come at 5.30. And it's very difficult but being a, a little bit more communicative, talking to your son, okay, what do you see your friends eating? What are you in the mood to eat? And trying to create that balance on your own. I think communication, is so critical and I think it's lacking. We try on our own to solve all the problems uh, and to create and to have that control that we're going to put this in the lunchbox and therefore it's going to eat, but communicating with him and, and saying, like, what do you see your friends having? What are you in the mood for? And obviously if you're not getting much, uh, po- much effective feedback from him, talking to other parents and, and seeing uh, what, what other people are doing, going online and, and, and Googling, ideas are, are also very, very helpful much, too much you want to You can give them anything you want, but they naturally will eat will, will eat what they what they need over time.
5: So my son is two and I I did a baby wedding with both my kids. They stopped being spoon-fed and aim on unless it's like a soup or whatever. He he's been feeding himself since he's eight months old. Now he if he sees if I open the fridge and he sees like a bowl of clementines and orange 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 he could eat ten of them in one sitting. He could eat like three bananas a day. Like he's obsessed. How do I like where do you draw the line?
0: In terms of uh, how much bananas he can eat, like, like he could literally sit
5: and eat bananas all day long. He could eat it at school, then he can have a whole one when he comes home. He'll, he'll just he wants it. I,
0: I wouldn't I wouldn't stop him. But again, he'll naturally gravitate towards some of the other balanced things that his body requires because he's not going to live uh, and feel good or be healthy at all living on just bananas and oranges. And I think that part <coughs> of it is that we kind of um, we kind of. Uh, Make the problem in our minds bigger than it is because we hone in and see that particular behavior and pretend, or at least convince ourselves in our mind, that that's actually what he's living on, and that is in in, um, in he's, he's, not, he's, not. He's, he's not. He's not. But, he's not. Not. but you that's see it. But
5: like he, that's like all like, he sees it in his body, like. And he wants it. He wants and it. And there could be. You know, you know, I don't
0: too much cause it's, it's, like, uh, But it's that's that's. So. I think that that really is the lesson of the night. Is that yeah. let the body regulate a little bit. Influence through good role modeling. Talk about what you believe to be true, part of the thing, some of the things that we discussed tonight, but don't force, because the bottom line is you can't effectively force. Mm-hmm. So you're setting yourself up for failure, and you're exposing uh, him to uh, a, a, an inappropriate relationship with food by trying to force those issues. We have time for just two more questions. Uh, go ahead. So you keep saying, let
6: your body talk to you. But what if my son's not listening to his body, he just loves food, he loves eating. Even I'll say to him, you're full. He's like, yeah, but it's so good, I still want more. And even if it's a well-balanced diet, like tonight I made 10 pieces of chicken breast for six of us and my younger kids barely eat, and I didn't even get one. So yeah. I said to him, I saw take another one. I'm like, you've gotta be full, you've had three. He's like, but they're just so good. So my husband's like, make your food taste worse. uh, I tell him have a cup of water. I give him like a salad plate instead of a dinner plate. I do everything buffet style. I try to come up with every technique I can, but he just loves
0: food. Right. So, and as mothers, and as Jewish mothers, we tend to make way more than we need to make too. Mm -hmm. So I have four kids, and we used to make twenty-five cutlets. Do the math. (laughs) We don't have to make it now. If he goes as far as cleaning the, the the chicken and cutting it and and spicing it up and cooking it, then then it's a different conversation. But really, if you, if you're the one doing the cooking, do the math yeah. before you do the cooking. I'm sorry. He'll go cook for himself. Oh, he, how old is he? Eleven. Wow. He'll go in and he'll make healthy things. Just his portion sizes are way out of control. And is and he unhealthy or heavy? He's very unhealthy and heavy. He's no, very heavy. He's he eats healthy.
6: He does not like to exercise, but I've been, doctors have been telling me he's got to lose weight for five, six years now. Mm-hmm. And he's a big boy. He's tall also, but he just loves food. Right. And I, my husband tells me to get rid of all the junk out of the house, but I disagree with like what you said because I also, my parents had no junk in my house and I would go to my friend's house and eat it. So I'm trying to find that right balance and try to think of different techniques to help him. But if I stand on top of him, I'm like, no, you have one. That's it. You can't touch it. I have to give it to you, but I don't want to stand on top of him all day long. Today, I walked out of the kitchen for two seconds, and
0: right, because because again, I mean, it's it's really the same. It's the same advice, like, you know. Again, which is you you can't effectively stop him because you you can for a moment, but he'll find another way and try, and um, and what you're naturally going to do. is is create a tougher, more inappropriate relationship with food, what you can do is is lead by example, continuously communicate, even around him, not to him, your philosophies about balanced and healthy eating with appropriate portions, and, and talk at the Shabbos table when you're all in front about the conversation we had and about the idea of maybe putting 10 minutes between eat serving, or switching to buffet style. So as you start to talk about these things, it really starts to seep into their mind, and it doesn't transform anything instantly, not by any stretch. And manage our own expectations here. We we can't control to the degree we want to, but we can truly lead by example, and with patience and persistence, we will be successful ultimately. Maybe to the point where we won't even appreciate it because it'll kind of come come up to the surface as adults but it's really breaking down what we were conditioned to do uh, which is to don't eat this eat only that it, I mean and did it work I mean did it work when our parents did to us no so you know how the concept is the abused becomes the abuser it's because that's what we learn we have to stop the cycle that's been going on for generations. By starting to truly understand a lot of these concepts and, and not trying to fix it overnight, but lead by example and not perpetuate some of the same things that brought us to an unhealthy relationship with food. Um, two things, one, I'm really
4: anxious about her. My son is food. And like now he's just like he's shocked. Like, what is this? What's apple juice? What's like and he's so excited because we don't have it at home. So two things. Number one, he asked me, he says, like, mommy, can you buy this? And I tell him, uh, you know, well we can have it at home. And he says, but why? And I said, because it's not healthy. So I think he's re- he's very smart and he thinks himself. I don't get it, the whole world has it. And, and it's okay for me to have it at the birthday party, but I can't have it in my house. Like, I can see that he's really struggling, and I think that it's not healthy. Because um, like I'm trying well, we're not to, well, what happened was um, I don't want to tell him not to have it at all.
0: I think it's important to compartmentalize. There's a big difference between type of food and portion of food. So, a challenge with perm is that the entire community comes and leaves a gift basket of food and we believe somehow that it's appropriate for us to keep all of those things and stock the pantry with, thank God, Pesach is a month later and we have to get rid of it, right? But, uh, and I think that that was done on purpose, some brilliant (laughs) thing, right? But, um, but in that 30 days, I mean, do we need to actually keep in abundance all of these things? Because if you think about the difference between type and portion, type is what we're eating, and then the next is how much we're consuming. So it's okay for him to have, in moderation, what you might consider to be an unhealthy choice. And and unhealthy choice runs, there's a spectrum there, right? I think, what example, can people say applesauce? Uh, Oh apple juice. Right.
4: So now he says, like, I know what water tastes like. I want that one. Right. So, so what we do in our house
0: is we actually combine the two, right? So the apple juice, the problem with the apple juice is so all I'm the sugar not in it. Right. So if you're if you're giving it to him in shul sure, or wherever he's getting it from and you uh, dilute it with some water, he's getting the sweetness that he wants but you're mitigating the consequences by reducing the portion of sugar because you're diluting with a little bit of water. If you try and eliminate it all he'll find another way, and then you lose all control and he will have the full sugar so application. juice.
4: pomegranate or something
0: Is, is learning it working? Or about I think in, in every area of our lives, we have to reflect on our choices and ask ourselves the important question, is it working? And if it's not, we have to change directions. And if pomegranate juice is just not appealing to him, then you trying to shove it down his throat and restrict it from apple juice is unfortunately not something that really lies within your control. So you can try and get not the ideal, but the best of available options, which is maybe he'll have the apple juice but a little bit diluted with water a little bit. And that kind of creative thinking, again, uh, can be very, very helpful. Uh, one more question and then we're going to wrap it up. Please go ahead. So uh, Big table of dessert, What do you say to your kids? You don't want them to 80, You don't want them to like be restricted either. How do you approach this So I was touching upon this a little bit earlier that moderation comes in different forms, right? So when we talk about like firm, I have my own little concept of the eighty twenty rule, right? My concept of the 80-20 rule is that eighty percent of our most of our lives are pretty routine. We get up. We eat breakfast, we go to work, or we do what we do, or run our errands, and then we come home, and we eat dinner, and we, eat, we go to sleep, and we repeat, and repeat, and repeat. And the 20% of the lives is the holidays, and the vacations, and the expensive social obligations, like Purim, or we go to some Simfa, and there's a Viennese table full of dessert, which is I think we're referring to. That 20% is not going to dictate your child's health and well-being long-term the 80%, which is much more within your control, where you're, you, the routine day, you don't have that spread, of, is good enough. Let him go, and let him eat and enjoy. But through example, show how I wanna have four of those cookies, but I'm gonna have one, and I'm gonna have a little plate of fruit, and I wanna have six of those chocolates, but I'm only gonna have two little ones. And and by talking about it, and by leading by example, and by kind of letting go of the leash a little bit, and giving a little bit more free reign, you'll see that slowly but surely over time these things start to resonate and it really starts to have a much more positive influence on our lives. Thank you all so much for coming.